Jesus, we agree. We've tasted and seen that you're good. Lord, we, will you forgive us where, where we've run after every other way, every other good taste, everything that draws our eye, that thrills, what the Bible calls idols that we've lifted our heads and our hearts to, we've set our faces on. Lord, we're with the disciples when we say, Jesus, we've seen you. We've seen the one and only, full of glory, full of grace and truth, the one that came from the Father. Where, where else would we go? You've got the words of eternal life. You're the treasure hidden in the field. We, we sell everything else we have in order to buy the field and have this treasure, this one thing. We thank you for the way you spoke in the parables and the gospels, just to catch our heart and catch our attention. And we just want to tell you again, Lord, we've tasted you. We've seen you are good. How happy is the man and the woman that finds refuge in you. Thank you. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. We thank you for the Psalms that just speak these riches into our hearts and lift our heads to you. We give you our worship today. Just keep capturing our hearts, capturing our attention. Lord, don't let us run through this month without having our heads turned to you, our ears tuned to you, our hearts woken up to your overtures and your, your, your loving voice. We love you, Jesus. And just tell the Lord that you love him in your own words. Just express back to him your longing for more of him. If you need to repent, put things down, leave things behind. Do that now. Take a moment. Thank you, Lord. Take your seats for now. We're, we're going to have lots of time to come back into worship and communion. And just to continue in this, this way. Thank you guys so much. Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 24, if you will, please. Just rearrange the furniture. Hello as well to those that are with us online, live, or catching up. We, lo we love you. We care about you. Please do send us a message. Let us know you've been taking part with us. Um, wonderful. I know we're talking about prayer and fasting. Again, in the, in the, the prayer guide, there's some notes on what do we mean by fasting. Um, some um, explanations for those maybe who um, are facing mental or physical health struggles, um, some, some wisdom on whether to fast or not, that kind of stuff. There's some teaching as well you can click on to, um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that as well in the days uh, and weeks ahead. Brilliant. Psalm 24. Um, oh, I haven't got the clicker today. You'll have to do it for me from the back. I forgot to get the... the uh, don't worry now. It's fine. You, I'm sure you can follow if you don't mind. I, I, maybe you're going to have a cup of tea. Um, not now. They're on it now. Can we get the, the whole uh, psalm up, uh, please? Uh, I think somewhere. Psalm 24, and you can read along with me. Um, there it is. In fact, I'm going to read it from there because my version is slightly different and I'll confuse us all. The earth, you can read it out loud with me if you want to, if you can manage the English. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. 
Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. It's going round. Come on. Bill's already with us. Let's keep going anyway if you've got your Bibles open. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Wow, wonderful. Well done. You'll be getting, if you're not already familiar, you'll be becoming very familiar with that psalm. Uh, And let me encourage you to try and memorize it and work through it at home. This psalm was probably written... Um, to be sung by David, King David, um, hundreds of years before Jesus, when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant, this, this incredible box that God's people made with instructions from God that was representing and, and kind of housing God's presence amongst his people. When David brought the Ark, um, it had been with the Philistines for a while. They brought it from the house of Obed-Edom, There's a name that you don't find on the baby name lists. Um, Into Jerusalem, 2 Samuel 6, you'll find the story. It had been a really difficult moment as they brought it in, not treating the ark with the honor and the reverence that it was due. And and you may recall the story, Uzzah, as the cart being pulled by oxen with the ark on. As the oxen stumbled, the ark looked like it might fall off. Uzzah put his hand out, a good thing you might think, to steady the ark. But because he didn't treat the ark and the promises of God as instructed, he was killed. Um, and, uh, and they left the ark there at Obed-Edom's house, just broken, not knowing what to do. Uh, obviously, they then come back to the word of God, and, and then there's this wonderful moment in 2 Samuel 6 where David, at the head of all the priests and the dancers and the worshippers and the oxen and the cart, now bring the ark of the covenant into God's city amongst his people. They're thanking God for victory over his enemies, for his faithfulness in keeping his promises. It's joyful. It's unrestrained. We've we just kind of read it in a kind of English church service voice, but David, if you read it, he's taken off most of his clothes. He's dancing before the Lord. He's so enthusiastic. His own wife is embarrassed by the enthusiasm of his worship. Um, There's awe and reverence, but there's unrestrained joy and delight. This is true worship. Uh, And David's song and worship here uh, with this psalm and the context that it's rooted in, they they look beyond this moment in 2 Samuel 6. They're more than David may have written a psalm for that moment um, or maybe after that moment looking back, but it's more than just the ark coming into Jerusalem. It it speaks prophetically of the greater, complete work of the King of glory, Jesus Christ, bringing his kingdom in, one day coming to dwell and dancing with joy into his inheritance. That's you and me and everyone who's ever lived for Jesus amongst his people forever and ever. That's what this psalm looks towards. It's, uh, if you you know the early psalm, Psalm 15 is very similar. It could be a pair, uh, really. Um, And it's full of this Old Testament language of tents and holy mountains and idols and it's not maybe very familiar for those of us who live in the west today it's all language old testament language of the the tabernacle that was this tent that they built where the ark could be housed where God would meet with his people it was looking forward to the temple that David's son would build Solomon uh, where God would make his home amongst his people Uh, again don't worry too much about the language but it's helpful because it points us towards something greater again in Jesus Christ Jesus now 
now, who's come to make his home among us. Jesus, who now by his Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts. It says that you and I now are temples of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a special box called the Ark of the Covenant or a special tent that we have to put up. Thank goodness I I don't like putting up tents. The Bible says now the Holy Spirit's come to dwell in you and me. We've become his temples. In fact, Ephesians tells us when we gather in this way, we are living stones joined together uh, in Jesus Christ. And we rise into a new community or a new temple, a place where God loves to dwell by his Spirit. So you and I I are the fulfillment of this Psalm 24 glorious song as they bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it points even further one day, as we say, to the return of Jesus as he comes dancing into his inheritance with with his people behind him. Uh, Revelation tells us there'll be a point where where a voice from heaven says, now the dwelling place of God is with with man and he will be their God and, uh, and, and they will be his people. That's what this points towards and leans us into it. It's an exciting psalm, isn't it? Anyone else excited about this psalm? Uh, we're looking forward to working through it. So we're, we're starting 2024 in Psalm 24. We're making this, I want to make this a year to seek his face, to, to open up the gates for more of God's glorious kingdom advance, recognizing the moment we're in, but all that, that is coming for those who are in Christ that we've just been talking about. Maybe just about the psalm in general. Um, Ken's going to pick up from here next week. It, uh, uh, gates swing two ways, and this psalm speaks about gates and, and doors. Uh, and just as gates swing two ways, this psalm is a kind of two-way reflection, inward uh, and outward. These first verses today uh, and, and next Sunday as well, they, they bring us uh, looking at our own hearts and looking at the great God of the whole universe, the ruler of the heavens. The middle verses that that Ken will lead us into next week that speak of clean hands, pure hearts, not lifting um, ourselves to idols. They invite us to think and pray through our own personal holiness. That there'll be sin in your life and my life that we need to say, this this cannot do, this cannot remain, I cannot stay here, I need to repent. Uh, We're going to be challenged on that. If not today, please don't leave it. You don't have to wait till next week, by the way, if, if the Holy Spirit now is convicting you of sin in your life. Deal with it today, please. But certainly we'll be challenged on that next week as well. Then the second half of the psalm draws us with those questions we've just read together to respond. Who is this king? The Lord strong and mighty, mighty in battle. And, and so we can use this to shape our prayers, not just inwardly, oh God, help me, change my heart. But we can declare gates and doors to open for the King of glory to come in, into our lives, into this church, into our town, into the nations of the earth. He's opened heaven's gates and doors for all of us who are in Christ. And we, with the authority he delegates to us, get to declare and open every door on earth for his kingdom to increase for every part of planet earth. Uh, and every people on planet Earth to come into this promise. We could do that from Crawley. Isn't that amazing? Wow, how about that? Um, so please use the daily prayer guide. Please use this psalm. Please memorize it. Please uh, let it shape your praying and your thinking and, uh, in these next few weeks. Can we just pop the next slide up with the first two verses in those three languages? Is that okay? Thank you. Um, there it is. Um, just look at the first two verses for a few minutes today. There they are in, uh, in Spanish, Portuguese, and Farsi, hopefully, if Google's got it right. Uh, or if you're an English speaker, you don't need it on the screen. You've got a Bible in front of you. Um, and uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. <coughs> Psalm 22:27 says, All the ends of the earth will remember. And turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion or rule or authority belongs to the Lord. 
He rules over the nations. Psalm 89, 11 says, The heavens are yours and the earth is yours and everything in all the world is yours. You get the message here. You created it all. It's, it's all his. I love uh, Paul's doxology at the end of Romans 11 where he says, he gets excited. He says, it's, it's from you and through you and to you are all things. To you is the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what we get a sense of when we read these first verses of Psalm 24. That there's no part of this planet or all of creation where Jesus Christ does not have authority. Isn't that remarkable? Um, maybe we'll get in a moment to the parts of the universe that we can't yet see through telescopes that we haven't yet invented. But even the parts we can't see, God sees and God rules. That's extraordinary. That makes my little brain ache a little bit. There's nothing that God's authority can't redeem. Um, in fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses these verses from Psalm 24 when he's speaking to a new church plant in a pagan culture in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 10, when they're saying, hey, Paul, can, if we get invited to eat with our non-Christian friends who are pagans and worship at the pagan temple and they serve up food on the table that's been dedicated to their pagan idols, we can't go and eat with our friends anymore. And Paul says, hey, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Paul says, even, even the food on your plate gets redeemed by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Wow, everything, nothing's outside. I've got an honest question though when I come to these verses and that is, how come if this is true, why it doesn't always seem in my life and in the world around me that Jesus Christ is ruling everywhere and in everything? It's just an honest question, isn't it? We don't want to ignore that. Maybe there are some here today or some watching. There'll be someone at Alpha Course that starts in a couple of weeks that are saying, where is God in the pain and the suffering and the, the struggle? These are really important questions we need to think through, uh, not just be equipped with an answer for, but maybe you're facing stuff in your own life where you're saying, God, where are you in this? I thought you were on your throne. I thought you were ruling and reigning. I thought you had all authority. It seems this is out of control in my life. Or I only have to switch on the news and everything seems out of control. It's really interesting, in John 14, the night Jesus was betrayed, even with his disciples, he calls Satan the, the prince of this world. He's, he's like, Satan's got some rule here. So we're left asking sometimes, well, who's in charge? Um, I, I think we just need to understand what sin has done. Uh, and maybe I'll just make a comment about the limited authority Satan has. And we just need to understand again why Jesus has come, how he's asserting his authority and his rule into every corner of creation. It's just worth, I think, responding to that question for a moment. Um, the scriptures do say that the evil one, Satan, uh, that's the name the Bible gives to him amongst other names. We don't talk about Satan much. We don't want to give him much attention. We want to talk much more about Jesus. I'm always nervous about being in churches where they talk more about the devil than they do about Jesus. He's not our focus and our preoccupation. Our preoccupation is on Jesus Christ. But the Bible says we shouldn't be unaware of Satan's schemes. So we do need to be alert to how he works. And the Bible says he's the ruler of this world. He does have real power. Now, God's still the sovereign ruler of the universe, but we understand Satan has got a kind of limited rule for a short period of time within some really tight boundaries. There's a, a really mysterious book called Job in the Old Testament where we find actually Satan can't do what he wants. He doesn't have all authority like Jesus does. He can only operate within boundaries that are determined by God. That's reassuring for us. And the Bible, when, when you read the big story of the Bible, there's, there's kind of two, uh, I guess, broad uh, areas that the Bible talks about in terms of human history. One the Bible talks about is the present evil age. Um, look around you. That's the age we're in right now. Um, it's still this present evil age. And one is the age to come. 
Um, if your English is good enough, you'll realize we're in the present evil age. We are not yet in the age to come. It is to come still. Jesus has not yet returned. If he had, we would know about it. Uh, believe me, that's what the Bible teaches us. So the, the, this present evil age began uh, not with creation, but in the, in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve turned their backs on God, listened to the temptation of the serpent, Satan, rebelled against God and God's best, broke out of relationship with him. That was the beginning of this present evil age. It started with the fall. That's what we call that moment in Genesis. And this present evil age will last until Jesus Christ returns. Um, the present evil age is, and, and I only have to look at my own life and the world around me to see this. The present evil age is, is characterized by sin, by sickness, by death, by disease, by war, by injustice, by environmental decay. By poverty, all these kinds of things are characteristics of an evil age that has been tainted, distorted by sin that came into the world. Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 6, again, give us a glimpse of Satan having this limited authority in the world. The age to come is when the kingdom of God gets fully established. Everything gets restored. Everything gets put right, like back to the kind of default factory settings, as it were, before Adam and Eve sinned. It's a wonderful moment. That's where we get those, those prophetic passages in the scriptures, um, that the no more, no more tear, he'll wipe every tear from our eye, no more pain, no more suffering. There'll be a freedom from every sin and sickness. When the angels sang at Christmas, peace on earth, peace on earth will be fully established. There will be no more wars, no more invasions, no more evil, no more wickedness. Satan and any limited rule he has will be thrown out and anyone who's not in Christ will be out with him. Everything will be put right and God's sovereign rule will be seen over all of creation. Hallelujah. That's the age to come. It's just worth mentioning this morning. And, and Jesus teaches when he teaches with his disciples, and it's just helpful for us to understand, we try to operate within this, about his kingdom being here. When Jesus came, he, he kind of launched his kingdom. Um, when he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah in Luke 4 and told them, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus looked at them. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. From that moment on, the kingdom was, was fighting back, as it were, was beginning to fill planet Earth. First through Jesus, then to his disciples. He said, go make disciples of all nations. What's happening? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's beginning to spread and grow and, and fill the earth. We're in the present evil age. Uh, the age to come has, has not yet come, but the kingdom of God is decisively breaking in. Uh, Jesus' death, resurrection has opened up the new age. It is coming. It's most definitely coming. The kingdom of God is already here. It's just not yet fully here. That's the moment that we live in as disciples of Jesus Christ. Just give me a wave if you're, if you're following here today. I think it's exciting, this Bible worldview. We, yeah, we live in the middle of both realities. We still suffer the effects of, the, of sin. The kingdom of God is not yet fully here in all its glory and finished power. Yeah, we still suffer sickness, death. Last year, we, we, you know, there were people here in this church family who struggled with stuff in their bodies that, that Jesus didn't heal. As much as the stories we rejoiced over for those he did heal. We're in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. This is the reality of where we live. We're expecting so much more, but we're living in the reality of this right now. Until Jesus returns, we, we won't experience the fullness of the kingdom of God in the age to come stuff but we're living in these days of the spirit where the kingdom has been opened where he, he's, he's spreading and growing he's poured great authority over us to carry out his mission I'm looking forward to uh, later in this term 
Uh, we have some new friends, they're new to me, but not new to others in the church. A couple called Jan and, and Philippe uh, de Chambrier. Um, uh, she wrote a book called Greater Things. They have an amazing healing ministry. And we're doing a day with some of our new ground churches here on the Saturday. And then Jan and Philippe will be here with us on the Sunday. Um, I, I know we're waiting for the age to come while we're in this present evil age. But, but Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, you'll do even greater things than these, he says to his disciples. So I'm not saying these things to limit what Jesus can do through in and through disciples and in and through his church now because Jesus looking at the miracles he was doing and what was he doing raising the dead healing the sick casting out demons confounding the wicked <laughs> wow prophetic seeing into people's hearts Jesus said of those things oh you guys yeah you'll do greater things than these because I'm going to the father I'm sending you the spirit so I don't know where you think the ceiling is on, on the kingdom life whilst we're in this present evil age, but I think it's much, much higher than, than we currently operate in. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm praying for more in 2024 as we push through. So this really matters, doesn't it? This, it matters because the big story of the Bible in our lives uh, and even the teachings of Jesus don't make sense unless we understand this worldview. Otherwise, we're, we're trying to kind of jump between two opposites. Oh, Jesus rules the world. Oh, Satan's got some rule here. Um, none of it makes sense if we don't get the Bible story of God's world with this kind of temporary, uh, limited rule of Satan, but being recovered by the work of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection, his ever-increasing kingdom growth. It matters because it affects how we pray. It affects how we worship. It affects how we preach. If we're in some kind of unreality about, about Satan's limited power, if, if we're the kind of Christians that say, I'm just going to ignore Satan, um, we live in a fantasy world. He has real power. He has schemes uh, against us. He wants to steal, kill, destroy. Um, if we have to kind of convince ourselves somehow that, that, that sickness isn't really here, that death doesn't really happen, that God's already done it somehow, then uh, if, uh, we, we just got to have enough faith to believe it. If that's where we're at, we're, we're in unreality with the scriptures here. We have to pretend we're living in some kind of heaven on earth right now. And the Bible doesn't ask us to pretend. It asks us to be real and honest. The Bible tells us the present age to come is coming, but Jesus hasn't yet returned. But nor are we in defeat or fearful or afraid that we may not have victory. It might be some kind of 50-50 tug of war struggle. I loved our tug of war at the church weekend away last summer. We'll have another one at the end of May, Maybank holiday weekend. And the team I was on, it was over pretty quickly. It wasn't even a 50-50. It was a very unequal struggle. Uh, it's not like that between Satan. It's not some yin-yang thing. No, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We're, we're not afraid or fearful. We have victory in Christ Jesus. These days of prayer and fasting are days of worship and warfare. We do fight, but we fight with the Lord before us who is mighty in battle. We get to welcome him. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. We get to ask him to take up his kingdom that he's already decisively won on the cross. And for you and I personally, in every fight that you're praying through this month, every battle you have against the world, against your own sinful flesh, against Satan himself, the world, the flesh, and the devil, every fight that you're facing this month, you can know the Lord strong and mighty is with you as you open up the, the, the doors of your heart to him. Amen. Let me hear an amen. Wow. So we can say with this psalm, we can recognize this dynamic and there's some tension in it. Um, but we recognize and we can say, Lord, it's all yours. But we can say, come in, make this, uh, as, as Jesus taught us to pray uh, in the, the Lord's prayer, let it be on the earth as it is in, in heaven. Come in, come have this inheritance that you have won through the cross. 
I mean, even for individuals here, it starts that way when we first come to faith in Jesus. When you move from not being a follower of Jesus, not believing in Jesus, to following him. There's a moment where you say, wow, Jesus, I repent of my sins. Please come in and begin to lead my life. Maybe for for one or two here, that's going to be a step you take today. I'm yours. Come in. I open the door of my heart to you. But it's something that we continue with every day, every door of my life. We We can pray as well as a church and a church planting family of churches. Every gate into every town, every city, every nation on planet earth. We declare you, Jesus Christ, are the rightful ruler and owner. The scriptures say you will have your rule and authority there. Yeah, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. We live in the now and the not yet, but we recognize as Revelation 11 tells us the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. Wow. So verse 1. Uh, are we still there? It's still on the screen. Look at that. Um, verse 1 talks uh, about all who live in it. Can I just make a, a comment on the people? I think the next slide could go up probably. Um, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Just a comment on the people. Um, in the, the catechism app that we shared earlier, we're encouraging you to download and use. Week 1's question is, what is our hope in life and death? Uh, and the answer is, uh, and the simple one, our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but we belong to God, body and soul. We belong to Jesus Christ, our Savior. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, all the people who live in it. We're not our own. We belong to God. That's a worldview worth hanging on to in our individualistic. You go after your truth. You run after your, um, uh, your way. And no, the earth is the Lord's. I belong to God. I'm not my own. Um, and, and the Bible says all the people on earth belong to God. We're all made in his image. I, I, love, I love the Toy Story movies. There's still, I think Toy Story 1 is probably in my top three greatest movies ever made. I, I, I love when Woody, the cowboy, gets picked up and on the sole of his boot. Do you know what name's written there? Andy. You've seen the film. Yeah, Andy is, is the toy's owner, the child who owns uh, Woody, the toy. You belong to God. The Bible says you and I have been made in his image. We're made for relationship with him. We're made to know him. We're made to flourish in his care. I, I think we, we need to be turned upside down uh, by the gospel to know our true identity. In a church like ours, there are all kinds of identities. They're all really important. Maybe your identity is white British. It might be Brazilian, Iranian, Asian. You might identify yourself most strongly through your politics, left or right. Or maybe your sex, male or female. They're all important ways of identifying. Maybe I'm married or I'm single or I'm a teenager or I'm a retired person. They're, they're all really important ways of, of identifying ourselves. But our primary identity, when your life gets turned upside down, oh yeah, take a look. <laughs> I belong to Jesus. His, his name has been stamped on me. Isaiah says his name is, my name is written in his hands. Our names are written in his hands. How about that? Wow, wonderful. We belong to Jesus. And again, the fact that we belong to him impacts the way that we pray. And it impacts our mission to the nations. Uh, last year, uh, we were talking prophetically uh, about the kind of church that, that we are. We're called to be here. And uh, there's, there's some streets near here. Spurgeon Close. Um, that made us think some prophetic things about preaching the word of God uh, because of Charles Spurgeon. And there's also a house at the end of our driveway here, uh, a a group of houses um, uh, called Carey House. William Carey was was the primary pioneering missionary into into China. 
And uh, I, I, love, I love this, this prophetic picture of Kerry. And I love the kind of um, local church that we're building that reflects this mandate that the earth is the Lord's, everyone in it, and all the people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. If you've noticed, when you go anywhere around this building, down the corridors, up the stairs, there are maps everywhere. In fact, we've got maps in our house everywhere. I love maps. I love pictures of cities, whether they're local ones or whether they're way beyond, places you may never go to. Um, but the kinds of places, even this month, these 24 days that we're going to go to, in prayer and in mission, they reflect the truth of this psalm. The earth is the Lord's, the world, all who live in it. They belong to him. It's all his. There are no no-go areas. There's nowhere too hard. When we plant our first church in the north of Manchester, nearly 30 years ago, 20, 20, how old are you, Noah? 27 years ago, um, people said to us, Oldham's a really hard place. Um, not much happens there. I don't think Oldham's any harder than anywhere else. Uh, right now in Iran, there are more people being, people are being born again faster in Iran than in any other planet, uh, any other country on planet Earth. There we are. Let me get that stat right. Okay. I think Iran is a harder place than Oldham for people to live for the good news of Jesus. It's a harsh, persecuting regime. There are no no-go areas when we believe that the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. Jesus wants to use people like us. There's nowhere too hard. There's nowhere too insignificant. There's nowhere where the people and the place don't matter to him. That's why there are living churches in a place like Crawley in the UK. We weren't, you won't find us listed in the Bible. Uh, we're not listed on the day of Pentecost when they went through all those names of cities and people groups that, that were in Jerusalem when the first disciples got baptized in the Spirit. But even to hear, God has decided, I want people here to know me because I care about them. I love what it says, uh, I think, in the Jonah story in Nineveh. Uh, when Jonah's refusing to go to this pagan, godless, well, not godless, they had many gods, but they were false gods um, in Nineveh. And it says at the end of Jonah that God cared, God had compassion on Nineveh, on, on its, this city of 100,000 people, men, women, children, and even the cattle too. How about that? Jesus cares about all the people of the earth. He cares about his creation. When William Carey was a young man and was very enthusiastically uh, trying to get people to listen to him about going to the nations. He was told by one of his pastors in a very patronizing and unbelieving way, sit down, young man, sit down and be still. When God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting either me or you. I, I know what the brother was trying to do there, um, but he wasn't in line with the scriptures in the things that he has said. God wants, to, wants people like you and me to stand up and live for this kingdom mandate that is here in Psalm 24 and exploded by Jesus and his disciples. Even now, of an ordinary church like us, right now, last few days, Danny, Giovanna, and the family are, are serving churches in Brazil out of us on our behalf. This week, I know RF will be in connection with more Iranians, uh, both here locally and online into Iran as well. well. Out of an ordinary church like us, we've seen how God's worked through people like Valentina across the Russian and Ukrainian speaking world, and ladies like loose through the Spanish and South American world. Thousands, millions of people that are connected into the gospel through an ordinary church like us. Uh, in a couple of months' time, we're hoping Dave and I will be able to go and visit Ben and Hannah and their family in South Asia, sent out from us to be strengthened and encouraged by us. Later this month, Nathan and I have got 24 hours just going to encourage some church leaders in Italy for 24 hours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And part of our mission is to play and serve our part in that. But you know what? Even when we pray tonight and tomorrow morning and through the rest of this month, we even if you never leave 
Crawley, we get to travel places in prayer uh, with this mandate as well. It's the same whether you get on a plane and go, whether you get on a boat and go, uh, whether you cycle there and go, uh, if you want to keep your uh, air miles and carbon footprint down. Um, there'll be places you never set foot in, but we get carried to by the Spirit of God in prayer, by this truth, the world and all who live in it. Therefore, I'm going to pray for these places and these peoples because I'm convinced from the Scriptures that they belong to God, that they're part of Jesus' inheritance. And so we're going to pray and serve and play our part in reaching and supporting them. That's amazing, isn't it? What a joy to be in a local church that has that mandate. Um, and so Jesus sends us to make disciples of the ends of the earth. Um, whether, as we often say, whether you never move beyond the end of your street or whether like Ben and Hannah, you've gone to live in another continent. The earth is the Lord's and all who live there. We're all invited to join this glorious new community. I'm looking out here. I need my sunglasses on today. It's a beautiful sunny day in the winter. But I'm looking out at a diverse church, people from every continent on planet earth. This verse again in Psalm 24 reminds us there is no one outside of this promise. There's no nation. There's no one too inferior. There's, there's no one too lost. There's no race, no language group, no skin color, no lack of education. There's no refugee or migrant. There's no outsider. Um, no one needs to be outside of this promise because Jesus is building this beautiful new community. Galatians 3.28 tells us there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are part of the promise to Abraham getting lived out here in 21st century Crawley. From Genesis onwards, through Abraham, it's always been God's plan to multiply, fill the earth, bless the nations of the earth. In, in, in Psalm 24, it was centered on Jerusalem, but now in Christ we see the whole planet, every tribe, tongue, nation in Jesus. One day we'll fill the new Jerusalem, heaven on earth. These songs that David delights in here are going to be sung by every tribe under heaven. Just quickly, on the next slide, because I want to worship. Um, we, we've got a reason why this planet and all the people living on it belong to Jesus. Why, we've got a reason why Satan will never have his inheritance. It's because, verse 2 tells us, the Lord founded this, uh, the planet upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The reason it belongs to God is because he made it. He has the rights. He created it. Whose is it? Oh, he made it. It's his. It's as simple as that. Um, and he did so in order that all creation might worship him. We go on to see that in future verses. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, you're confused by that slide now in the sunshine. From creation, out of the dust, separating earth from the water. And down through the centuries, God's preserved this little planet in the center of this vast created universe. With a one place uh, where his purposes are being worked out. He's centered everything on the people that he loves through the son he loves. Uh, if, um, I'll, I'll put it online later. You can maybe just see a little shadow there. This is a picture taken by the Voyager spacecraft. Was it Voyager 1, Ken, in 1990? It was kind of leaving. I don't know where it was leaving. It was 6 billion kilometers from Earth. Uh, or if you're in uh, Brexit numbers, 3.7 billion miles. Uh, a long way out. And it took this amazing picture looking back at our Milky Way um, and just happened to catch this little pale blue dot in a, in a ray of light. Can you see that? Can you pick that out there? Um, I'll, I'll share it online later. You can Google it yourself. The pale blue dot um, just happened to be caught there. The scriptures tell us he created everything. He numbered the stars, every galaxy, every solar system. As I was saying earlier, the vast undiscovered 
cosmos that we don't yet have telescopes that we can see far enough with or spaceships developed to travel and explore. God made it all and hidden away in, the, in, in just the right place to sustain life in this vast cosmos. He placed little planet Earth that even on a snapshot of just our galaxy, you could barely see. Isn't that remarkable? On that little pale blue dot, everyone who's ever lived, every great leader of history who was so famous for a while, every empire that rises and then falls again, that threatens and rules and goes away, every ordinary life that's never been written about, everything that you and I have ever done, all of our lives lived out on this tiny pale blue dot, but right at the center of God's purpose and plan for us. The rest of the universe is just, it's just scenery for God's purposes <laughs> on this little pale blue dot. We were at the Royal Opera House uh, just before Christmas. And uh, if you look up, if you get distracted before the performance starts, the, 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 the stuff up high on the ceiling, on, around the building, the architecture, it's amazing. But the moment the show starts, you're with the spotlight on the one thing going on on the stage. That's what the universe is like for this pale blue dot where Jesus Christ is working out his purposes because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Um, that, the Voyager photo of our solar system, uh, apparently there are, there are almost 4,000 solar systems in the Milky Way galaxy. Ken, you can correct all this heresy next week if I get this wrong. Okay. And in terms of galaxies, the Milky Way galaxy is one. We're a part of that. I love Milky Ways, but not while I'm fasting. Uh, and, and there are between 200 billion and 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. I think that's a, quite a big difference because they can't count them. 200 billion and to 2 trillion galaxies. We're just in one, the Milky Way, in the observable universe. David said, when I consider your heavens and the work of your hands... What is man that you are mindful of him? We belong to him, church. He's chosen us. He's got a plan for every single one of us that he's redeemed. But he's got a plan for all of creation, every people, every tribe. Even the planet itself is groaning for us to be redeemed, for the new creation when Jesus returns and everything gets restored and put right. Can we stand together? Anna, Bill, others, come and help us. We're longing for this day where God's people live with him at, this, at the center of this renewed creation, this pale blue dot. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the, water, the seas and established it upon the waters. Lord, as we worship you now, will you just draw us into your presence? Lord, we're with David. Who am I? Who are we? That you would that you'd call us, that you would have plans for our lives. We're, we feel so insignificant, so small. We're a speck on a speck. I think they said it was a, like a mote of dust in a sunbeam. Lord, and, and yet you have plans and purposes. We worship you, Lord. Where well, we worship you for your plan. We say from you, to you, through you are all things. To you belongs all the glory. Draw our hearts into you now as we worship, as we break bread together. Amen.